You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank. I'm up here in a beautiful, sunny Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Down in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Papa Joe is in my city today. President Biden on a visit to Baltimore. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, we got Dumar Pete. It's nice and overcast and not hot or cold. Okay, down in the morning after ministry studios, we got Andrew Larson. I hope that uh, the president's got Kevlar on if he's in Baltimore. Yeah, wow. for real. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> and next to him, hey, we got there. Timothy Miller. I'm here. I'm in sunny Safety Harbor, Florida. It is 79 degrees. It's sunny, and I'll probably be in my pool in just a few hours. I like how the people oh, yeah. who are, don't live in Baltimore thought I would be offended by that comment. But he's accurate. <laughs> that is accuracy at its by, best. By the way, I was obviously kidding. It's 8 degrees here, and we had 10 inches of snow over the weekend. And Dude, I'm jealous it, because like we, it's cold enough to be winter here, but we, never get, we haven't got any snow yet, no measurable snow yet yeah. this year. So it's like, what's the point? Well, so Jeff, you know, the snow, ten inches of snow is a lot for a lot of people. That is a lot. But, what, yeah. But, yeah. What, but what's funny is this: is like there was not a single second where anyone in our church said, "Maybe we should cancel services." We still well, had all of our services, Milwaukee. and we just like everyone just bundled up and put salt everywhere. It was it was a very cold and slushy weekend, but um, we still did it. Anyways, Dumar, I interrupted you. What, did you, what were you going to say? No, I was saying the other day someone talked about Baltimore. Someone listens to our podcast at my church, and they walk up to me, and they're like, man, we've heard like how sometimes Baltimore gets referenced to being violent, and I just want you to know that is absolutely true. It's facts. <laughs> One of the highest murder rates in the, in the country, baby. Well, um, I hear music. I think that's from Andrew's phone. I don't know. He's watching YouTube videos or something. I don't know. Um, so here's my uh, – I'm uh, playing Risk well, like a man. Good. I'm glad you're – giving your this podcast all your attention um so but i do want to hear specifically from andrew because you shared something in the facebook group about like i think i don't know if it was an ethical question or just an actual practical question about uh remains uh andrew can you talk about that what what was what would you bring up to the group this uh this weekend I had a couple schedule an appointment with me like three weeks out they scheduled it because they'd been traveling and uh, they've been worshiping here since about July, and they really wanted to meet with me in the office. And they had, you know, they they needed my advice and guidance on something. And I had no idea where they were going. I was telling Tim this morning that you know, usually when something is phrased like that, it's one of the, hey, we want you to know that one of us was married before, or we have this like one very specific theological issue that we care very deeply about that we want to make sure you do as well. Um, so I had no idea what I was getting into, and it was a, hey, we've been worshiping here for a while. We love this church. We want to become members. However, um, our previous church has a memorial garden where we already have plots reserved. And so um, are you cool with us still having our um, cremains placed in that burial garden if we become members of your church? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll, yes, absolutely. And they said, okay, cool. Well, the, the they didn't say cool, uh, but they said, like, okay, excellent. And here's, here's the other part. Um, our previous pastor, they had a long-term pastor who passed away about a year and a half ago, which is why they they are no longer at their previous church. Um, but the long-term pastor had the license required to be the one to place the remains in the memory garden. 
and they were wondering if uh, perhaps I had that license or would be willing to acquire a license like that to uh, place people's remains. And I said, uh... You were like, oh, you have to have a license? (laughs) I can look in. Well, I had no idea you had to have a license. We we had um, a guy who owned a funeral home at my previous church, and so whenever we would be doing, you know, most of the time when you do, someone's cremated, you know, someone keeps the ashes, um, you know, in an urn at home or something. And if they're buried, you know, it's usually shortly thereafter the, the service. And so I just assumed that the, the reason that the guy who owned the funeral home, who was a member of my previous church was the one that was always burying them was because it was like a, Hey, this is our guy. He made the arrangements with the cemetery. Let's let him do it. I didn't realize it was something in the state of Florida, you had to be licensed to do. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. And I did. It's $380 every other year to be a, uh, a direct disposer is the name of the uh, license that you get. It might be worth it. You could print it out. It could be on your wall right next to your diplomas. It'd look really sweet on your resume. Andrew, I, take I feel like... of me burying different people's ashes. But I feel like this is right up your alley with, like, the whole, like... You know, you and Tim's business of like recording, like live yeah. streaming funerals. We you will also, live stream your funerals and and bury the ashes. And we you're also bury, the one with cremation. like your very like liberal policy on like doing like officiating weddings. Yeah. Of, like, hey, you want to get married? Don't care if you're gay. Let's do it. And I, you just, that like... is not my wedding policy. <laughs> That's Andy Stanley. <laughs> that, oh, okay. We'll get that there. is not. And you did get yours from Andy Stanley. That is not oh. my <laughs> wedding policy. My wedding policy is you're never going to. If you to pay me, anybody. I'll do it. No, it's that you're never <laughs> going get to get anyone to when? Jesus by telling them that they're not good enough to be married. However, as a as a credentialed clergy within the Evangelical Covenant Church, that credential would be pulled if I did a gay wedding. So that makes it very easy to say. It's not me. It's my denomination. Hey, Jay, hey, but if you were, looks good, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb and say you did not get that done at a certain sports club. Listen, it was easy to walk into. I checked in on the app. It looks fine. You can get a sport clips haircut every now and then, Tim. You're not getting a skin fade there. That's all I'm saying. So, um, first off, I am, like, su- like, surprised that you can't just, like, dig a hole on your property and... Um, I'm sure in some states you can. I mean, you, who's going to catch you, first of all? I mean, all? especially in Florida. We're like, are there laws in Florida? I don't know. Like, DeSantis so, says this is the DeSantis said. Listen, you might not be able to last... bury anybody, but you can sure carry a gun around, no problem. Yeah, DeSantis yeah, said uh, Florida. You can dig a, a hole with an automatic rifle by shooting it into the ground, <laughs> yeah. but you can't put anything in there. <laughs> Your governor said that um, uh, Florida was the only sane state during the pandemic. It was the only state that knew what they were doing. I, <laughs> I was mean, like, he's not wrong. Right, <laughs> Listen, have you seen my property values in the past three years? <laughs> I'm oh just my saying my, yeah. my net worth has increased by about Nobody 50%. Nobody is on Zillow more than nothing. Andrew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's so, true. So my in-laws live in Arkansas, and they recently uh, made arrangements for their uh, cemetery plots. And they were like 700 bucks a pop. Uh, including the actual burial, whereas in Florida you cannot buy a cemetery plot for under twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, so because there's more old, there's more old people per capita. There's more old people per capita, but it's also where the water table is. 
So yep. in Arkansas, uh, you can dig a hole and drop a corpse in there. Not in Florida. You can't do that in Florida. You got to have the. It's called a vault. Yes, you have to have the, have the concrete vault and all that it's stuff. Required. And so, um, I wow, would I assume that in most states, anybody can just dump human remains wherever they want. <laughs> I mean, people do it in Baltimore all the time. They just wow. dump human oh, remains. No. Yes, you don't. There's no <laughs> license needed for that. <laughs> uh, wow. But in Florida, probably because of you know we're a very conservative state in some ways. However, we are surrounded by water, and there is a whole lot of conservation uh, that is a part of the state. So for that type of reason, they make you have a license to dump somebody's ashes in the Gulf of Mexico. If you want to have a – if you want to go down a rabbit hole, you should search Leakin Park, Baltimore, on YouTube and find out what you can find out about the place where bodies go. Oh, oh dear. I'm good. I've had enough nightmares in my life. <laughs> well, way to kill the mood, Jeff. <laughs> what mood yeah. did we have? <laughs> a fun, a lighthearted one about death with Andrew. Um, no, uh, I, like that. That's, death it, with it, Andrew. That, <laughs> coming soon to the that's Practical Pastoring Podcast Network. <laughs> we should that, just launch a network and have one show all about funerals and stuff. Death with Andrew. I think it'd be great. And you could put on your best like radio voice. It'd be great. Um, you uh, uh, did did you like decide to get the license, or you still like in the I don't know phase of that? I I told them that I would look into it. We'll see if. And I get you know they're they're in their late seventies, early eighties. I it's a it's an issue that they care about, right? Like I mean, when you're you've made arrangements and you feel that God's leading you to leave the church where you had made those arrangements, you want to make sure that. You know, thing, things are honored. Um, so I, I told them I would look into it. If it comes up again, I'll be like, yeah, it was, you know, kind of expensive, and it's not something I'm going to be doing a whole lot of. We'll pay for it for you. That's – who knows? But 380 bucks every other year um, to maybe dispose of two, you know, cremains, I, I don't know. But also it's a way to minister to people. I think dispose might be the a, wrong word there. Yeah, maybe to place <laughs> – uh, the, the license Yeet. says direct Think Baltimore disposer. <laughs> direct, the, the license says direct disposer. So, uh, well, I actually right. am surprised by your take, Andrew, because like you're the one person on this on this podcast that often says like I am the pastor of old people. Like the, you, you always say a 65 year old man is a young man in my church or whatever. This, you always make those. This bits. is true. That's true. So I would yeah. I would I would assume that you would be like. I'm putting this in the line item in my budget that I'm going to be the cremain <laughs> specialist. Well, I got I have to wait till the church is done paying for the demon, and once you know, so, so <laughs> that rolls 20, over into your exactly. Budget. <laughs> so once the 2024, you know, once the 2024 budget year starts, then we can use some continuing ed for some uh, <laughs> cremation <laughs> disposal, some certain certificates. Wow. But uh, but this but and they're they're perfectly healthy. I can't imagine. They're going to be needing my service for a while. But also, yeah. it makes if you are a church that has a memory garden, absolutely, it makes sense. Yeah, um, we we don't. And our sure. backyard is a preschool playground, and I can't imagine the preschool director would be cool with that. Probably so, not. Hey kids, <laughs> I'm going to need you to clear out. Here's, kids, here's some graves to jump on. Don't go in the sandbox for a week. Don't go in the sandbox for a week. Hold up. We're, let it kind of let it. Kinda so when I was a kid <laughs> at my church. We would play. This is so bad, but we would play hide and go seek at night in the cemetery. That was like church a had thing. One. Yeah, we had a big one. Yeah, that was. 
You know, talk about dead bodies, I, uh, Andrew. Whenever I live in South Carolina, obviously where's, there's. Where's this gonna go? <laughs> oh no, have y'all heard Talking of Lake Marion? Jeff's probably heard of Lake Marion. He drives through South Carolina, but it's this big lake. And yeah, in nineteen, bridge in the, on the it, highway, right? Yeah, and the yeah, and the forties, they made it. It's a man-made lake, yeah. but it's massive. Well, the only problem is they didn't like clean out all the churches that they flooded and stuff. And yep. once they flooded the lake, the dead bodies started popping up, and the caskets were floating around in the lake. You'd be out there on your boat, and there's a dead body just like floats up to your boat. It was wild. That is why man. a vault is required in the state of Florida because yep. of Terrifying. the water table. <laughs> because of, yeah, well, that's real. Funerals. We sure do. Well, speaking of money in regards to uh, church decisions, uh, there's a, a, a post that was made in our Facebook group that I want to discuss and uh, and get your opinions on. I, I think some of us have already like responded to it, but I want I want you guys to um, respond to it in the podcast for anyone who didn't see the post. So I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's, it's a little long, but I'm going to read it. Hey, pastors, I have a question that I'd like to throw out there based on a podcast discussion I heard today. I'm guessing it wasn't our podcast that he heard, but it might be opening a can of worms, but I value your insight and viewpoints. I'm trying to discern in my spirit how to interpret the conversation and how to grow from there. Not sure I'm thinking correctly about this. So hypothetically, a senior pastor calls in a pastor or teammate on staff to question their giving record at church. The senior pastor states that the employee gets paid $50,000 before taxes and their tithe should be $5,000. The employee was confused. He thought that he was supposed to pay from money he received from his paycheck, not necessarily pre-taxed amount. His giving was therefore closer to 4000 than 5000 The pastor confronted him about this in, in a way that seemed you're robbing God and put the employee on, on defense. <laughs> so my question to, the, to you pastors is this. One, how do you view the tithe? 10% of the pre-tax amount or what the person actually... Uh, clears in their pay and then two how do you perceive this conversation proper growing opportunity or inappropriate overreach thanks i'm trying to figure it out myself i appreciate your input so i love that the the thing that he didn't bring up first is the fact that the senior pastor knows like specifically the numbers of every person giving that's an interesting like i guess it's kind of inferred well, i wouldn't assume that he knows the numbers of every person giving maybe he just got maybe somebody told him Hey, this staff member gave less than five thousand dollars. I mean, I wouldn't assume all of that into it. But man, even that conversation, like, like, like your account, the, the church's tax accountant is, is, is. I don't know. It just sounds, uh, sounds sketch. But anyways, what are you guys' thoughts? You can answer the, the the actual questions first. Do you expect your people to tithe on pre-tax or actual paycheck? So we actually joke about this in membership class because the. The Old Testament tithe is 23.3%. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not 10% at all. And so it's I, their actual taxes. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's when. So we, we, we laugh a little bit about it in membership class, and then we, we tell our members you're, you're expected to give uh, both generously and sacrificially and also out of joy. Like that, that that's the requirement at Lakeview Church. We don't have a specific number on it. The fact that the, the pastor knows not just the employees, but anyone, I, I just feels icky to me. Like I, I'm not looking up anyone's tithe record. I don't want to know I anyone's think tithe knowing, record. Knowing that your staff is giving, fine. But sure, knowing how much your staff is giving, weird. It's odd. It's weird. It feels odd. My, see, I feel weird about it too, but my question is, like, why is it weird? 
There's nothing scripturally that inherently says that's wrong. In fact, in the New Testament, people laid their gifts before the apostles. Yeah, right. You're right. So it's but like in the New Testament, there's no ten percent number. So I'm with you he... that it, I'm with you that the, if I was this employee, I might resign. Like that's so weird. Yeah, but then I'm too. asking myself, like, wait a minute, why is it weird? Is this just like a cultural thing that's been imposed on me that I just accept as the Probably. norm? And having said that, I don't know what anybody in my church gives, and part of that's because I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. I, well, I, in, in I, terms I, of like knowing, oh, you better give or like it. it the, the the only reason I've ever been really given as to why a pastor should not know what people give, well, two main reasons. I mean, it's normal practice in any nonprofit that the person who deals with the money coming in is not the same person who deals with the money going out, right? So you have an assistant treasurer and a treasurer in our setup. The assistant treasurer takes all the income. The treasurer is the one who cuts the checks. So the spending has two different, you know, the money goes to do two different people to avoid impropriety. So there's that. There's also the ethical, you know, pastor shouldn't be having – I mean, I remember having a meeting with a pastor of another church when I was in Orlando, and the pastor showed up to this meeting and pulled out the church checkbook and just wrote a check like himself and signed it. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Again, again, there's no, like, biblical mandate for the pastor can't spend the church's money, but I think you're asking for – you're setting a man up for failure ethically. But the thing with knowing knowing about what somebody's giving is like I, I heard a pastor say this at a conference. There's no reason that somebody is not giving that is not a pastoral issue. If they're not giving because they don't know that they should be giving, that's a teaching thing. If they're not giving because they're like, I'm not going to, that's kind of a rebellious thing. It could be. If they're not giving because they can't give, then that's a pastoral care issue that the church can maybe come alongside and help them. So how would you know if someone's not giving unless there's some alert? And maybe this is part of the staff culture at this church. It seems weird to me. But it, I, I just what – I, what I find to check in my own self is like assuming a sinful thing happened for this pastor asking this question when really this is not a black and white sin thing. I think it makes me uncomfortable, but uncomfortable doesn't mean ethically wrong. You know what I'm saying? Delmar. I- I feel like I have been at a church with opposite ends of the spectrum. My first church ever, no one knew how much anyone gave, and we always were struggling, if that makes sense. And I've also been in a church where all the staff knew how much the staff gave. It was required to know how much the congregants made. And then I was given a list of the 25 top givers in the church and told to choose from this list who would be the head lay leaders of the church. So, like, you have to be very, like, careful to your point, Jeff. Like, how do you do this wise? Because I do think pastorally we should have some – we need to be able to speak into that world, right? But that world can be so hijacked to violate the first chapter of James, right? Like, that that world can be so um, – so I think it's a matter of being wise. I think it's also a matter if you're in a church, you have to be transparent about this and you have to have like three ways of accountability you have to have some regulations in place to show that where you're not overstepping you have to like there's because it is financials like if because ultimately when you pull someone's tithe you're pulling a financial report of them and here here's my only thing and i and i would like to know your feedback jeff so i'm with you there's no biblical reason you can't but if you are a pastor who currently checks all of your congregants' tithes, should they know 
that you're that, doing that. Yes, they should. That know would that you're be doing that. yeah, yeah. There I you agree. go. That's part of that now, transparency. I, I was going to say yeah. the, the the reason that's always given for why a pastor shouldn't know, and I agree, it's a matter of wisdom, which is right, a biblical yeah. concern, right? It is a matter of prudence. Um, the reason a pastor shouldn't know is that you don't want to treat people different, which right. I mean, the simple answer to that is, well, just don't treat people different then. Like, I mean, just Fair. be mature yeah, and don't treat point. people different. Now, if that's an area that might cause you to fall, then I think it's right for you to maybe be pretty open about that. Like, I don't know what you give because I don't think I could handle that knowledge mm-hmm. and and treat people the same. So, therefore, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I think you're getting into, like, wisdom and discernment. And what I'm getting at is, like, it, I looked it up. It's Paul in Philippians 4 talks about... Um, not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that more be credit to your account. So like he's not after the money. He's after the benefit to them spiritually. And to me, this mm. interaction, yeah, it comes off like the pastor is not as concerned about the spiritual growth of his staff member as he is about the bottom line of what he's giving. That's at least the way that this person has oh, communicated this, good this, point. Thing to, this story to us, you know? Like it, it came yeah, off I mean, the, the whole "you're robbing God" thing that gets so often misused oh to like gosh. be legalistic about it. So that's where, to me, that's the most uncomfortable part. It's okay, not that necessarily was... that, that you get asked the question; it's that it's like a confrontation about why did you give this amount and not this amount. A hundred percent. I think you just nailed it, Jeff. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Can I, say, I just want to follow up, Jeff, real quick. I think I think he nailed it. It's it's how it was approached. The approach reveals the heart. You're robbing God. The majority times, the pastors who have who I have personally heard say you're robbing God in some area of their life, they were robbing God. You know, and and, and second of all, I think you're right. It's about the heart. It's about if if you get called in here, the first thing should have been is, hey man, is everything okay? Like, is there, is there something going on in your life? Like, like it shouldn't have been you're robbing God. It should have been like what you just said, Jeff, a pastoral approach because. Giving issues are pastoral issues. This right here, you have to pay to play, which is what this is. That's an organizational, like, you don't even, God's not even really in that conversation other than as a guilt trip. So I agree with you 100%. Andrew? So in, in Luke 18, just about any commentary that you crack when Jesus is, you know, it, the, all the parables in Luke 18 are about prayer. But with, with the uh, tax collector and the Pharisee, you know, they're both at the temple praying and they're praying out loud and, you know, the tax collector is, you know, God have mercy on me, a sinner. But the Pharisee goes through the list of all of his things. And one of the things that he says is, I give a tenth of all that I get. And mm. just about every commentary that you look up is going to say, that means that he's not just giving a tenth of his income, he's giving a tenth of his inheritance, any mm. gifts that he receives, whatever it may be. And that there was a line between, well, I give a tenth of what I'm required to, and I give a tenth of everything. And the above and beyond was the tenth of everything. And so... This, you know, th- this concept seems a little bit pharisaic in that it's saying, you know, it is a requirement that you give a tenth of everything. So that means that if you get a $25 Old Navy gift card for your birthday, you better buy God a pair of socks. And when you get a Starbucks card for Pastor Appreciation Day, you better get one of those uh, cheese danishes for God because a tenth of all you get is not the same as a tenth of all your income because that's very specifically Jesus referenced the Pharisee saying he was better than everybody else because he went above and beyond and didn't just give a tenth of the money he had coming in from income, but, you know, all of it. The second thought is 
if this pastor is talking about pre-taxed amount, any pastor who receives a housing allowance yeah. should be giving less than a tithe. Yeah. I read this and I thought, shoot, I need to, you know, my housing allowance makes up about 55, 60% of my total compensation. So I am writing way too big of a checks for tithe if that's the case, because um, if it's pre-taxed amount, my housing allowance ain't, ain't taxed. So number one, why isn't this pastor on staff getting a housing allowance if he has the title pastor? True. Unless he's a director or something else, he's not being treated like a pastor. And on top of that, who says every penny of tithe has to go to the local church? What if he's got three or Great four example. compassion kids? What if he is, um, you know, sponsoring a, um, you know, someone who is um, dealing with with foster kids? You know, there there are, are a bunch of other ministries beyond the local church that this pastor could be given to. And can you imagine getting called into that meeting like, hey, buddy, are you okay? Is, 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 are, you know, what, what's wrong when you've been tithing to your church faithfully for however many years and it just turns out, oh, well, we expected you to be tithing an extra $45 yeah. well, a week. That sounds like a teaching issue, dude. Like you're not teaching yeah. them that. You can't hold it. And then the other question I would ask is like the only place I could see this conversation being maybe where I could be like, you know, that's cool is if this is in the context of the pastor talking about what he's giving exact mm-hmm. dollar amounts and being like this is a discipleship mm-hmm. relationship thing where we you know we share this information with each other not as staff and pastor but just as like brothers together we want the best for our church we're leading together here's how much I'm giving here's my tax returns you know I give on this so I'm just wondering if you guys would be led to do the same like but maybe that no way that senior pastor wants his staff knowing how much money he's absolutely making. not not no. based on yeah. confronting somebody like this nope mm. so so, no, what do you so guys do? Like, pra- practically do you guys tie yeah. your paycheck that because that I do like I don't I don't do like the pre-tax thing I, like the money that comes yeah, in just I do whatever yeah it comes paycheck, in I yeah. pay it. yeah I'm not I'm not good well, enough with math know, to figure anything else out. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I put mine on. I put mine on auto debit and uh, and let it just go off the thing. But yep. you know, all right. I so a, I, I was saying, executive pastor once asked me when I started at a church if I wanted um, to have my tithe automatically pulled out of my paycheck or not, and mm. I was like, uh, I'm gonna go with or not. And he was like, Oh, really? <laughs> okay. We just thought that you know. Wow. Okay. That'd be easier for for, um, for me. I, I tend to forget. So for me, having the auto thing is better. But I will say one last thing on this is if someone isn't tithing or if they're not giving as much as you feel, please be careful just immediately writing them off as they don't buy into what the church is doing as much. I knew a guy in our community. He got a letter from his church saying he couldn't be a deacon because he wasn't paying enough money. Um, but the fact is he uh, he was going through cancer and he was having to pay for chemo. And he wasn't really, he's a private guy because he has a lot of pride, you know, just like a lot of guys. And he was trying to handle business. So he wasn't able to give as much money. But his heart, I know him personally. He was, he loves Jesus, right? And he was giving sacrifice. Actually, when he was giving less money during that season of chemo, he was giving more sacrificially than when he was giving a lot of money outside of that season of chemo. So I think we need to be really careful that that's not the sole measure. So uh, you mentioned this, Delmar, about how your pastor in, in one church um, gave you a list of the 25 highest donors at your campus. It was like I 25 that, or 50, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. So like, yeah. I, like, I think there's a way to know who the highest donors are without knowing actually how much they Now, give. see, that seems weird to me. Yeah, they're the elders. 
Right? Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, should be. So, so, for example, the reason why I think there could be a practical reason for that is if there's a capital campaign or, like, some sort of, like, big, like uh, – uh, fundraiser or something like that, you may want to know who are the biggest donors to, to, yeah. to ask them personally, like, hey, w- would you be interested in giving a gift? Because obviously there's probably a connection to yeah. their wealth tied to their giving. But let me let me share one thought that, um, that uh, I learned uh, since I became a campus pastor. Um, so I get a report of um, – so I don't know how much anybody gives. But I do get a report occasionally of, um, of when people stop giving regularly – and the the what 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 I'm supposed to do with that is simply to check on them and see how they're doing for the purpose of what exactly what Delmar said is because sometimes yeah. people stop giving because there's a financial issue, yeah. crisis or a care issue, um, and then there's also been some studies that people stop giving to their church about three to four months before they walk away from the church. So mm-hmm. so like there could be a situation where. Um, they're, 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 they're disgruntled with the church and they want to leave and they're, they're not going to talk to you, but they'll first stop giving. The other side of it is mm. how many times I, and so, so all of you guys who do automated giving or recurring giving, have there ever been a time where your like credit card, you like stopped your credit card or your debit card and you need to get a new card, a new number yep. or your card expired. If you do recurring giving, you just forget about it. It could be months before you realize that you stopped right. giving and so sometimes if the church tells you like, hey, we're just we don't know like what happened, like we, I don't, I mean I don't see expiration dates on credit cards or anything like that. Like it could literally be just like a lapse of judgment, like oh, it's recurring giving, like it automatically comes. I didn't realize my card expired. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. Those could be like pastoral moments and helpful moments. I I, I get icked out with the idea of the pastor knowing exact numbers. Um, but I think it more, mostly comes from situations like this where it feels like there's a little bit of manipulation and stuff going on. But again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, this feels like control. That's why it feels icky. What I was going to say is like as icky as Tim, I think you said it gives you the ick for a pastor to know this information. It gives me that ick when I find that churches are like thanking their top percentage of givers specifically. That feels so weird to me. That feels like. That feels yeah. like you are treating people, certain people differently. Mm. You you know? it, is, it is common in general. non-profit right, right. practice, though. Like when, when a right. large donation over a certain amount comes in, it is very, very common for a nonprofit to then draft a letter because – and I, I was told this because we have someone who works in a nonprofit at our church. Um, oftentimes, large givers will give a somewhat large amount to, to see if there's a response from the organization – and if hmm. there is a response, there's a higher percentage that they will then give even more in the oh, future. Wow. So I, you can go both ways. I mean, you know, you, you can kind of take that or leave it. But we, we have drafted thank you letters, especially hmm. to people who don't typically give or someone's kind of given a one-time, very, very large donation. You know, I'll sign a letter even though I don't know how much the gift was for. I'll, I'll add to that. So we have a um, renovation project that we've been doing right now. And so more designated gifts for this one particular project than we've done in any project in the you know almost six years that I've been here. And the number of people that have said, hey, you know, I want to write a check for $5,000 because, uh, you know, in honor of my, my late wife. That was what somebody did. Like there was uh, the flooring going in was going to be an added expense that we didn't budget originally. And someone said, hey, I want to do this in honor of uh, mm-hmm. his wife who had recently passed. And. Uh, part of it was we'd never had a handicapped bathroom in our worship center, and we, we have a church with people in their 70s and 80s. And so 
Um, there are people that, you know, we are going out of our way to honor for that special um, designated giving, but we're not going to go through the rolls during the annual meeting and like, hey, this family, you guys tithe $18,000 this year. We sure right. are grateful. <laughs> so I think it's different if it is a designated, here's the the one-time gift or and it's all that makes everything extra complicated and then you have people that say hey i want to give however i'm going to give through my business instead of my personal account so can you recognize the you know, and aren't you aren't you glad that none of this part was uh in the new testament muddy and up right what we're supposed to do <laughs> well, where was it in the new testament when uh like do you do you talk about people who give in bitcoin and it's like, yeah. the apostle, what would the apostles right. do in that situation? Hey, um, we, we had someone that, that wanted the write-off. They had like acquired a portion of a company and it was a, Hey, um, here, I think it was like 20,000 shares of a stock that had become a penny stock. And so it was like a $20,000 here's, or a 20, so 20,000 shares of penny stock is not a lot, you know, it's 200 bucks, right. but they were able to get a way bigger write-off because when they acquired them, it was worth way more. And it was like, hey, can can we do this? Sure. Like, Yeah, our, okay. our policy on stocks, we have been given stocks before, mm-hmm. is we, we cash them right away, and we just, no matter mm-hmm. no matter what the price is on the stock. Well, we've been sitting on these. If uh, we, this one company ever takes we, off. We do not sit on it. We cash it right away. So there's, yeah. If this company ever takes off, my office is going to be sweet. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, let's transition to something that uh, – we alluded to earlier. Uh, so it's kind of complicated. So Andy Stanley has been in the news. Um, you know, over the years, he said some Who? interesting things. <laughs> Charles Stanley's son. Charles Stanley's oh, son. Who's that? Um, Andrew Stanley, the comedian's father. Oh, that guy uh, that was on the radio at night when I was a kid in my parents' car. Yeah. Got it. He's yeah. on well, after Saturday Night Live. Got it. Your, your parents' favorite pastor, uh, mm-hmm. probably. Um, so, uh, my parents' favorite pastor is me, but whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, he's been talking, uh, in the past couple of years about, um, unhitching from the old Testament and, and kind of like having kind of a, a I would say a low view of scripture, but, but, um, but there's then there was a, a, several tweets that came out recently about, uh, a, 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 a conference sermon that he gave at the conference that his church hosts um about lgbt churchgoers and there's been more stuff coming out from private you know speaking events to information about people on his staff that seems to go against kind of orthodox historical christianity in views regarding lgbt people and uh and and so the reason why you know i know jeff is like rolling his eyes the fact that we're even having this conversation because it, as Jeff would say, which is fair. Oh, sorry. I was we, just doom scrolling Instagram. What are we talking about? <laughs> why are we, <laughs> why are we caring about celebrity pastors who aren't our pastor? And that's a fair statement. But, um, you know, he, he, he makes a broad statement that LGBT people in conservative churches have more faith than most Christians, or at least the, him and the church, that, uh, the Christians at his church. And, and um, she, he makes statements about like whether or not he would officiate the wedding if his granddaughter came out as gay, and and th- there's a lot of like pro LGBT affirming sentiments that are coming from and- Andy Stanley, and um, and there's some data coming out that uh, that there are like 
people using pronouns and and pro LGBT people at his church, and then beyond that, the uh, LGBT Christian community, the 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 gay Christian community have been very uh, actually I feel like they've been pretty split on this. Some people are kind of leery of it because they feel like when a mega church starts talking like this, it's just to pay you know to kind of get support even though they don't really believe it. But then some have been really uh, encouraged by the author of Communicating for a Change. That's who Andy Stanley is, by the way. Um, Never read it. Oh, me, we, God, you, we, dude. It's uh, it changed day. youth group sermons forever. So, and, and that's the only way Andrew writes sermons right now. So, uh, what I didn't say it was bad. I just said I never read it. <laughs> I, I just want to throw this out there at the beginning. I went to Dallas Seminary because I had a man crush on Andy Stanley in college. Oh, so, man. is that is that where he the, went? And the, the GS? Yeah, that is le- legit. Why I chose Dallas Seminary was because Andy. Seminary I assumed, he, I assumed he would have gone to a, a Southern Baptist Seminary, but um. But yeah, so what do we think about this? What do we think about these statements about Andy? And I guess, I guess you know, Delmar brought this up. Andy Stanley has a lot, like deep and wide. There's a lot of books that are very popular of his. Communicating for Change is like in a lot of seminaries and Bible colleges preaching uh, textbooks. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, what do you do with this information? Do you like where's the balance between? welcoming LGBT folks without affirming? Is this a tired conversation? What, what are your thoughts? I, um, <clears throat> I wonder if this is Andy's version of the shock jock pastor. Like, he knows, right? Like, when these words come out of his mouth, like, he, he knows this is going to stir the pot, and a lot of evangelicals are going to get really worked up over this stuff. So I'm like, is this just kind of feeding into what he's seeking? I I don't know. Like the statement itself, quote, a, a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way they've been treated. I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. I don't even know if he meant to use the word faith there, but he did, right? That, that, that's what he said. Maybe resilience would have been a better word. Resilience than might might have worked well there. He's had plenty of time to correct himself. In a sermon, right? It's hyperbole in a sermon too. I mean, there's also that. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I just feel like he's had plenty of time to correct himself if that was a misspeak, and he he doubled down. He he doubled down and said. You know, when's the last time a Christian had to go into a space where they knew they weren't accepted? Unlike, and it's like, hello, have you, do you live in the same world we live in? Right? Like, you you're not Christians are not accepted. To be, to be I to mean, be fair, I gotta say, Alpharetta, like, what space? Are we Alpharetta going is in? pretty. Alpharetta is pretty safe, I think. What's Alpharetta? Uh, Alpharetta. That's Georgia. where he lives. Yeah. Where Where is that? Oh, I don't like, know like, of a space here where I couldn't walk in and be pretty accepted. I mean, and I, I mean, there might be a few. There might be some There's real some, trendy you, coffee you, shops you, where if I walked in and said I'm a pastor, they might give me a weird side You would side have to eye, go but. to some pretty hardcore, like, progressive places to be rejected as a Christian, I think. And I don't, I don't, and I don't think those things exist south of Nashville. Does that, does that make sense? Like, I'm pretty sure, like, if you're in the south. Uh, I'm telling you what, some, man, in the schools around here. Void of some college here, campuses, maybe. That's what I said. No, like, void of some college campuses, maybe. No, e- even in the high schools around here, if you come out as a Christian, you're – they they tell you you believe in the spaghetti monster, you know. Like I mean, this is it's becoming, sure. and I'm in the deep south, so I, I just I, I just feel like that wasn't a fair. If you're if you're trying to speak to that crowd, don't do it in such a way that marginalizes the people you're supposed to be pre, your flock. 
You know what I'm saying? Like you're yeah. marginalizing your flock to make some pitch. And, you know, I think the writing's but been on the wall for to a flock. He's he's at a conference talking to clergy. Two pastors. Even but worse. The, right? But <laughs> the the I mean, and I guess to say to be fair, that conference speech obviously has gotten out to us. There has been a conversation yeah. of like, did he marginalize yeah. his own like like Do they feel talked is, about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. do they feel like because some, some in the conversation to pastors, he was kind of saying like, when you want to make a big change, like to affirm LGBT people in your church, you kind of have to do a slow burn with your congregation as to not marginalize them, which feels a little kind of icky. If we're, if we're gonna be honest, like, if, like, like, hey, I want to transition my people to something that's doctrinally very different. And so I'm going to string them a long way to slowly develop. I would understand if it's something like from unorthodoxy to orthodoxy, but to go from... But we know, have the same so, conversation about changing worship styles. Yeah. Which is a lot different. I, but, I, <laughs> but I don't know if changing worship styles is, is, is know, walking away not, from orthodox Christianity. I'm, right. No, not, not at all. But I'm saying the idea of you want, you know, that's... You don't want to do it all at once because then you're going to lose a key demographic. Um, I talk about you know, our church compared to the church I was at before. That church has a pastor about my age who came in and immediately alienated all of the older people and wondered, wondered where the budget mm. went. And I came in and endeared myself to old people before the young family started coming in. So it's, is the, and again, I'm, is, I, I'm not comparing the two. I'm, uh, you yeah. know, when it, but I'm saying that methodology of a slow burn versus a ripping off yeah. the Band-Aid is how most church leadership decisions yeah. need to be made. Is there, is there wisdom? Is there wisdom to hold the hand of the congregation into change? Absolutely. It's this specific topic, though, is what we're yeah, talking about. It's like, it's like it dude, feels a little weird. You know what I'm saying? Dude. No, and, you know, I think when it comes to Andy, it's the same thing like we said earlier. you got to practice discernment. At the end of the day, if you were to ask the world at large, like, and I don't know the heart of Andy Sandy. None of us do. That's part of why this conversation is even happening. But the larger conversation for me as a pastor is what am I, what do I want to be known as? Am I a pastor or am I just a quote leader? You, you know what I'm saying? Because if I, if I'm a leader, leaders success is defined by how many follow them. Right. And, and, and ultimately and where they're going to a lesser extent, but leaders have followers. And I think that this Andy, I think he wants to be a leader. He makes that very clear. That's his podcast on leadership. He's involved in like stuff like any, he, he involved in GLS. I mean, he's involved in so many leadership things. It's like, well then, yeah, of course, if him bending a little bit of orthodoxy will help him accrue more followers, it seems to bolster his unstated life mission of being a great, you know, leader, which I, I don't know I, if that's I unstated. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually, here's the thing. I don't think Andy necessarily is doing this to get more followers. Um, I, I like, I, I've been, a Andy, we have to, we he, have to he, admit He doesn't thing. need more clout. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think we have to admit this about Andy because Andy does get slandered a lot. And for some of it's valid, some of it's not valid. But I, I, I think Andy is one of the smartest like leaders in the like the church world, like he like he, he's not haphazarding anything. He'd be a, bit, a CEO of a big company if it wasn't. Oh, if he wasn't easily. Yeah, here's easily. what I th I mean. Again, I don't know motives. He he alluded us to a conference speech. He this is kind of reminding me of like when Rob Bell transitioned from like the cool emergent guy to like the fringe the fringes of orthodoxy. In the sense, right. like I wonder if something's happening in his life where like right. he has a close family member or something he cares about that has become 
um, a part of the LGBT community, and he is he's conflicted with what to do with that. And like in in an effort to kind of wrestle with that, he's like kind of like live in process with it. And the only downside is he has a giant mega church that's also representative right. of thousands of churches across this country, right? Like, like I wonder if it's more like that because I I think of all the people we could be talking about right now, Andy Stanley is one of the most thoughtful and like knowing what he says on stage matters and what and like how he says it, like he. I mean, he's one of the best communicators. I agree with Del, though. This isn't a mistake. He didn't. This isn't off the cuff a mistake. That no, I don't think it's a mistake. Okay, so but, but what if I, he I says the exact same thing, but about couples who are living together? Hey, if you're a couple was, who's living together and up, you show yeah. up at church on a Sunday morning, the we we had a thoughtful and nuanced conversation on this podcast last week about divorce and remarriage in church leadership, not not church attendance, but church leadership. And 30, 40, 50 years ago, people would have thought, whoa, you know, these guys are going off the rails of orthodoxy. And I'm not trying to go off the rails of orthodoxy when it comes to LGBTQ issues. But would we be having this conversation if Andy was talking about a couple that was living together? Well, I I think it's fair to say that some of the critique from the LGBTQ community against particularly evangelical church that we have elevated that particular perversion of sexual ethics as more important. Some of that critique is fair because we have. Uh, yeah. Because you're we're, right. We wouldn't we, be talking this way if it was just couples. Because specific I've, types of sexual sin. Hey, while if you're I was, a porn addict and you come to church, you know, that should be as as offensive to us as it should be. any other sexual it should sin. Be. But we're not talking about any other sexual sin. We're talking about LGBTQ issues. But because we're also not trying to normalize it, right? So I guess no, that's but, but, that's a deeper question: is is Andy trying to is he trying to normalize homosexuality? Like that that's so a church member came to me this week, and this was his question: he was, I, you know, a family member sent this to me from Andy Stanley. I have several family members that go to his church. I'm concerned about them because I feel like they're being taught that this mm. is normal and not not sinful. But you could make the argument that we've been normalizing like no fault divorce for fifty years. Hundred percent agree. You know, yeah, fair. Not and we have to own that and speak out against it too, right? That's right. Either we do have to speak out against that as much as we speak out against this, or we got to be quiet about both of them. Let's go. That's right. I mean, scripture, scripture. You know, like, and I think you're right. There's, it's easy sometimes for us to pick the ones that we don't necessarily struggle with and lean into those a little bit more. Or that we haven't experienced enough with, but also I, I also would say that one of the reasons homosexuality is a hot topic is because it is an issue that is being um, raised up in our culture around us. Like you know, what I'm saying, and that's that has been something that we've always kind of we've conflicted with. So I think our default reaction of the church is to double down sometimes. You know, what I'm saying, yeah, well, and, if you're going to say that makes us reactionary yeah. to what the, yes, the culture yeah, is good, dictating good way of what we talk it. about. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, no, that, that's that's, a good that's point. not good. The shows that my kids watch, like I don't, there, there's not a whole lot of porn addiction on the Disney shows, but there is mm-hmm. quite a bit of homosexuality. Normal, so I, totally normal. So I have had to have this conversation yeah. with my kids younger and younger, but yet I haven't had to have the porn talk so early yet because they're not being exposed to that as much with the shows that they're watching right now. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I guess so. If, let's talk about the two sides of this conversation. I mean, is this the example of evangelical drift? Like, is this an example of 
of that, or is this just like a nuanced conversation? No, I think it is an example of evangelical drift, and it is the result of longstanding evangelical drift that we don't even realize we're in. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's mm, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, then, like, for me, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. One of the things I take away from this outside of even the conversation that's being had is holy cow, how much do we have to watch what we say even when we're not in front of our congregants, right? Like, even when we're on this podcast, like, we have to be genuine to the calling that we have, even when we're speaking in a space that may not necessarily be in front of our primary flock. And that's something that I'm really having to take to heart because, you know, there there's times when, like, when should you joke? What, what shouldn't you joke around about or the conversations you do have? I think, pastors, we live in a world that's so small now. You cannot have a conversation in a private room with 15 other people anymore, right? So we have to be really careful practically, you know, about how we even guard our own self because... I hear you, Dell. but for me, I just I just have anonymous meme accounts, and that kind of takes care of all that for me. You yeah. should, you know, I should get on that. <laughs> Until you get uh, until you get shadow banned, <laughs> it's, it's hard. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you guys with a real practical question that I've been wrestling with. Right, so our church takes communion every week, whether you do or don't, whatever. But let's say it's communion week at your church, and there is a couple who you know to be living together, unrepentant. They're heterosexual, but they're unrepentant living together, and they come to take communion. Are you fencing the table with them, or are you not? And frankly. I have to tell you, like, I'm convicted over the last, since we've been, you know, this, we've texted each other about this. I found out yesterday that there's a couple that I didn't know that was living together that's living together. Um, they've been confronted by somebody else in the church who I trust uh, to do it the right way. And they basically have said, yeah, but we're doing this anyway. And, um, you know, they don't, there's not, not a lot of plans to get married for like another year and a half. So it's like, you're just, we know what's happening. You're not living together and not sleeping together. Like, we're not stupid. Um, and so Jesus gave Judas communion, right? That's what I'm asking. Like, like so how do we Ju- Ju- practically Judas speaking remove from, you know, did not leave the table until his feet were washed and he received communion. Wow. Yeah. And that, what's the, how's job, that verse go? My, if you take it unworthy, it leads to death. And then he died pretty quickly yeah. after if it, if you take it unworthy, not if you give it unworthy, <laughs> Yeah. my job, my That's job fair. is not That's to be fair. the fence. If you come and re- to receive communion, this is the body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for you because whether oh. or not you are worthy, it is broken and shed for you. Well, none of us are and then if we're going to go there. Say, right. and, exactly. And, and if you, and if you choke and die, Hey, that's not on me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dude, how many people were thinking, is this why I got yeah. COVID? Over the last like three years, <laughs> oh, I'm being well, serious, dude. Wanna, oh, because you know there were some legalistic churches saying that very, kind of stuff. Yeah. I was very confused. But you know, Jeff, you know, not I can't get down into specifically that instance. But we did communion yesterday, and one of the things we we ask is if you're not a believer, would you please abstain? Right. Because because we offer you something greater than communion. Right, I'm not talking that's about that. salvation. I'm talking about people who profess yeah. faith and are walking in open rebellion. Man, that sounds and, like and a I picked that particular issue. one because there's a lot of that in our churches there's a i i got word yesterday that one person who's in that kind of long-standing there's a kid involved they basically are like a married couple but they're not married and people were excited because the one person in that relationship took communion yesterday and people were talking about it as a sign of like ooh, maybe they're opening up to faith and you know i hear that and i'm like torn about it but then i'm like Mm. you know but we're not you know, it's that idea of like communion is not made for is made for man, not man for communion. So, 
do I lean into generosity and grace or do I lean into like some duty that I think I have to guard who takes communion and who doesn't? In the I end, mean, these I are think... adults we're talking about. Yeah. So uh, it, th- that's where I'm asking a practical question. And I'm saying like I feel, you know, to be vulnerable about it, I feel convicted about it because I haven't always confronted every sin in the way that I talk about us being needing to confront every sin, right? Like I, I can get on here and talk about, well, you shouldn't let, but then in my church, when it's my people looking me in the face and wanting to take communion, it's a lot easier to rational. I mean, I sat there yesterday in a bar with a, with a friend who told me about this couple living together. And I already was spinning up in my head, all the rationalizations for why, you know, it's about grace and we should welcome them. And then when this conversation comes along, it's like, why do I have a different category for the sexual perversion of homosexuality than I do for heterosexual premarital sex? Like, why do because I put those? Because we are predisposed to be right. bigoted towards people that sin differently than we do. Yeah. That's Ouch. why. Ouch. Uh, uh, first off, Jeff, you should confront your own sin for being in a bar. That's wicked. Uh, yeah, what about you know, the beers that, I had? That, that alone oh. would... Uh, we're going to put a Baptist disclaimer on this video, everybody. Um, uh, <laughs> you know the I, difference I, between a Baptist and an Episcopalian? Oh, a, the Episcopalian will say hi to you in the liquor store. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, first off, this is actually a good point to actually have a good theology about how you view communion. Because I think the idea of fencing and Like taking it all the time? Step one. Whether it's take, whether it's taking it all the time, <laughs> or you hold to a memorial view or a non-memorial view, like I think yeah. that speaks into the idea of whether you're fencing it or not. The second thing is, and I think we, I think the joke Andrew used to say is this is a discipleship issue, and I think that's a fair thing. But I, I would actually say this is like a good conversation point for a high view of membership. Yeah, because having a high view and of membership and church discipline, and church discipline, but Which you can comes only from that. Ha- you can only have church discipline if you have a high view of membership, which to, 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 to this, this ties back to Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley has a low view of membership. Their yeah. church doesn't even believe in membership. They're like, if you come to church, you're a member of the church. So therefore, how can you actually discipline anybody yeah. in that kind of setting where, where you get to broach those conversations of if a couple is not living with each other in our church, if you come to us and say you want to get officiated by a pastor or yep. marry in our church. Like that's in the like the, the the contract says like you can't do that if you're living with each other. In which me as a pastor get to come in and say, so what's stopping you from one of you moving out, or what's stopping you from getting married this weekend, right? Like like uh, like those conversations can be had at that point. But a high view of membership gives you the collateral to speak into these uh, deeper discipleship issues, where you can't. At the end of the day, if you have a regular attender living with each other. The worst you could say is, I don't like that. But like, there's nothing stopping them from saying, well, if you don't like it, I'm just going to go to the church down the street and just sit in the back row and enjoy worship without having the accountability of being a member. Where membership is you putting yourself under the authority of your church saying, I'm opening myself up for accountability and discipline if necessary for my the safety, for my safety of my own soul. Where, where like churches that have low view of membership, it's there's there's no place for church discipline. But all this to say is like these are good conversations. And see, Jeff, you didn't want to have this conversation. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, I'm doing this all in protest. <laughs> Jeff, I, I, I have a I have a serious question for you okay. based on that. Um, and and our church doesn't do this. And when you started talking, I don't know if it was 
the Holy Spirit or the part of me that wants to make a compelling podcast. Come on, dude. You can have the Holy Spirit. Uh, Well, (laughs) thank you. But it was if you and and I I think the position is my position is clear on fencing the table. But should a time of um, confession and repentance preclude communion each and every time it's served? Uh, I, I would say in some sense, yes. And we do practice that that way. I would say one of the ways that that's practiced is in that, like what you're thinking of, like, hey, everyone, we're going to spend a few moments in quiet reflection, blah, blah, blah. This to me is another reason, not blah, 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 but this to me is another reason why <laughs> practicing communion. Seinfeld, you can bl- yada, yada, yada. <laughs> this is why. You can ev- yada, yada, yada confession. This is why weekly communion, I think this is another point for it, is that you're, it's not like, oh my gosh, this is our one chance to get communion just perfectly right every, you know, once a month. It's like this is a practice that happens every week. I just put a, a note in the uh, show notes or in our document that maybe, Frank, you can throw in the show notes. But there's, I think I've probably talked about it before, but there's a book called A Holy Meal by Gordon T. Smith. And what he does in that book is he takes down seven of the words that we think of for communion, like Eucharist, Lord's Supper, Memorial. And he just writes a chapter on each one of those and how they, um, how they connect to the communion meal. Really, really formative book. Really, really, it'd be a great book to like read with an elder board and think through your view on communion, which actually is pretty connected to church membership uh, because, you know, you're talking about the body and the blood of Christ. Um, so anyway, yeah, it, it is an issue. I most often, quote unquote, fence the table just based on being a believer or not. And I will say it's something like, um, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, if we take this meal wrongly, um, that that you know will be judged for it, and so if you don't know and follow Jesus, um, there's no way for you to understand what this meal means, or even begin to understand what this meal means. And we want mercy for you and not judgment. So we would just encourage you to let it let it pass. Um, and that's actually again one of the reasons why we have that like hard break in our service, where it's actually the service is over, and there's like a five or six minute break, and then we come back in the room and participate in communion. And I've had like more more guests now uh, have said to me who have like returned people who visited and returned have said like thank you for doing that because it makes a spot for me to exit without it being like weird um, so I can just leave and nobody really asks me a question they don't feel like awkward and judged you know like the communion plates pass and they let it pass and then everyone's like oh what are they this just creates a spot where they they walk out of the room and there no one notices so. Um, yeah, I would definitely agree with Frank, you know, honing in on, it's always a good thing to hone in on what you think about, uh, the sacraments, even baptism, you know, I mean, it's just really, really practical theology for you. Well, this has been a great discussion, guys. Um, even though this was against, this was in Jeff's protest. Yeah, if you know uh, baseball and you were watching this, I'm making the P symbol with my hand, which means this is under protest. Yeah, he's kicking dirt on home plate right now because he's he's hating this. But um, I would just like but, to say uh, that North Point takes communion like once every three months at a special service, uh, usually in the evening hmm. on a night of worship. So not as part of their service where they would be expecting newbies, which is kind of interesting based on. And and I'm a Andy Stanley apologist more often than not. However, based on the conversations we've had about church membership and church discipline, it's kind of interesting that. There, you could be someone who attends that church for a decade and never be a part of a communion service. Yeah, there's something interesting. Like I, I, Andy Stanley was the first like mega church that I heard 
like did communion that way. And I thought, oh man, all mega churches have bad communion. But then like the village church does what Jeff does. They take communion every Sunday. And that's a like a 8,000 person church. That's a huge church. Yeah, so, I mean, like, that's one of the arguments we even had here at our tiny church. Like, well, then we have to get communion ready every week. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do it. Like you know, we, have to, we have to get water for baptism too. I mean, that's kind of yeah. hard to do. We, yeah. We buy coffee for every Sunday. Right. We can get juice and bread, <laughs> yeah. right? That's fair. Um, that's that's funny. So, anyways, keeping um, Welsh's in business. Yeah, baby. <laughs> for real. Uh, well, this was a good conversation. Please join our Facebook if you disagree with us. If you have more questions, whatever the case may be, join our Facebook group. Uh, look up practically pastoring, uh, and and ask us a question or, or be a part of the conversation there. Follow us on Instagram. Follow all of our personal accounts if you want. We're all on social media, but um, but uh, and you can also follow Tim's uh, secret meme account. Um, he go. hasn't told I'll me what it's later. called, but uh, but it's it's pretty great. Uh, with that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson, and I'm Timothy Miller. This is Frankly Pastoring. See ya. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.